millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The New Statesman. Before we start, a quick reminder that you can vote for us in the British Podcast Awards People's Choice category. Vote now at BritishPodcastAwards.com forward slash voting anytime until the 5th of September. Just type in the New Statesman podcast and it will come up. Thank you so much. I'm Freddie. I'm Anoush. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the government's attempt to house migrants on a barge off the coast of Dorset. Hi, I'm Freddie Hayward, political correspondent at The New Statesman, and I'm joined by Anoush Shekelian, our Britain editor. Anoush and I have swapped places this week because Anoush has been down in Dorset visiting the Bibby Stockholm, the barge which has been moored off the coast of Portland to house UK asylum seekers. Anoush, what's been happening? This is the government's first asylum barge. So this is what they're trying to wheel out as a way of getting asylum seekers out of hotels. There's currently 50,546 asylum seekers housed in hotels across the country and it's costing the government £6 million a day. Mm. It's incredibly controversial. The public hate it because they think that people are being given luxurious living conditions. I've seen pictures from some of these hotels. They're not that luxurious, but nevertheless, is this the best use of taxpayers' money is the question. And the government want to show that they're taking a firmer stance, so they want to try and move these asylum seekers out of the hotels and into barges that are going to be moored off certain parts of the UK's coastline. This is the first one that I visited. It's on Portland, which is a sort of strange kind of isle mm. off the Jurassic Coast in Dorset. And it's this big kind of oblong, mm. strange it looking like thing. Boat, it? It's it not looks, a boat. It doesn't have like an, an engine. It's not really a boat. It's almost like a floating kind of university right. halls built in the 70s. It's housed asylum seekers in other countries before. It's housed homeless people and also oil and gas rig workers as well. The reason that it's so controversial is because it's intended to have 506 men live on there. Mm. It was originally designed for 222. So the Home Office has just shoved bunk beds in there and sort of hoped for the best. And quite understandably, people living on Portland, which is a very small community and on in the town of Weymouth, which is on the mainland just yeah. opposite, are quite concerned about what this will mean for their public services. And others are concerned about the safety of the asylum seekers. The Fire Brigades Union has said that it's a potential catastrophe waiting to happen. And I have heard from someone who actually until recently was working on that port who was warning that it is quite dangerous that the sewage system won't be able to handle that many people on board. My source even suggested that there's a danger of it listing if there is a fire and then the fire brigade have to 
pump water into it. And I've spoken to asylum seekers who are living on there who don't feel safe on there. They think it's yeah, unsafe. Yeah, what did they say? They were quite equivocal about it. So they said it was okay. They get, they said they, they quite like the food. They said that there okay. were chefs making Arabic food on this boat, which they were really keen on. They'd had a TV night, the ones that I spoke to the night before, and they'd watched a Marvel film together and they quite liked that as well. But they felt the rooms were cramped and they didn't feel that safe on board because they said, we're just stuck. We can't get out to walk around. Yeah. We're stuck on this big thing. They can only go in and out on these buses that have been laid on hourly buses with blacked out windows that take them into various stops into the town and back again. They preferred the hotels because they could get out, walk around and feel a bit more free. But also they felt that they'd they'd already settled into the communities where their hotels were. So one that I spoke to was in Bournemouth and he knew the sort of local shop owners, the people who worked at the market and felt like he had a bit more of a sense of community there. And another was from Eastbourne who also quite liked the hotel. But they were willing to do anything to stay in the UK. And so one of them had refused to go, first of all, but then told that there's no choice, you have to go on this barge. So he went on and the other hadn't refused. He was just going along with what the Home Office plans are for them. Yeah, because the government have said that there's been some difficulty in getting some asylum seekers to go to the barge. I think the the numbers have been very low so far, but is that increasing now? The numbers are only in the low 20s at the moment. The people that I spoke to suggested that there were actually more people on board than that. So I'm not 100% sure. And I need to check with the Home Office what the latest figures are. But there has been difficulty getting people to move on, partly because there are some legal challenges which Care for Calais, which is one of the charities that speaks up for refugees, has been using to try and stop people who are already settled in these hotels having to pack up and go and stay on this thing that some organisations say is not safe. Yeah, and this is part of the government's broader Stop the Boats Week. They've been announcing a series of measures, some new, some old, that have already existed this week. And it's remarkable how quickly the Conservative Party has split. We've had Lee Anderson, the deputy chair of the party, described government's policies of failure. Robert Jenrick, the migration minister who's often sent out onto the airways to defend the government's policy, he's pushed back on that. And there's broader questions as well about how the government's policy moves forward into the next election. You've got some sections of the party basically saying that they need to make the next election about leaving the ECHR, which is the European Convention of Human Rights, because many of them see that as a key a key obstacle to deporting and returning people to countries that they came from originally. After the break, we'll discuss whether Brexit has made it harder for the Conservatives to manage the asylum system. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. You can get it both on your iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. If you enjoy The New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth. Featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Where do you think that will leave the Conservative Party? Will it be wise for them to try and frame a general election where everyone is concerned about the cost of living and inflation's through the roof about the ECHR? Well, I mean, it's quite I think, a leading question. No, but. I think I, I, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, and what a lot of commentators are saying is, why are you drawing attention to yeah. a policy that you're failing at? And actually, you can see from the polling, voters really don't trust the prime minister's pledge to get the asylum backlog down to no. stop the boats, which is their big phrase. But actually, you can see, and I saw from the people that I was speaking to in Portland, particularly mm. the residents on the island who didn't really want the asylum seekers there, that you can paint this as a cost of living issue. Because what a lot of people were saying to me was, they get free medical help on board, they get free food, they get buses into the town. We've just had our minor injuries unit close. Our hospital lost all of its beds in the last five years. Why do they get better services than we do? Mm -hmm. That's one of the arguments. And actually, the people who are defending the refugees also accept these arguments as well, but say that anger should be directed to the government rather than these quite vulnerable people. But you can see how the government could try and make it into a cost of living issue to try and distract from its failures over the last 13 years in terms of our public services. Yeah, you can. I mean, it's interesting that they've also tried to do the same with green politics and the environmental agenda. Yeah, okay. if we accept that the cost of living is going to define the next election, you basically have to relate every other issue to the cost of living. And if you do so successfully then you might might make some headway with voters. I was speaking to one Liberal Tory in Westminster last night and he was basically saying that, of course, the government's never going to say that they're going to leave the ECHR because they think there'll be such a backlash within the cabinet and amongst more liberal One Nation Tories in Westminster that they would risk the unity that you need to win an election. And I think that was more him being wishful. I don't think that the government are that concerned about party unity that they're looking at the next election they're looking at the polls and realizing that they're heading for extreme loss if they do think that lee saying they're going to leave the echr or maybe saying that they'll have a referendum on it will help them in the polls which i'm not sure it necessarily will in part because no one knows what the echr is then i think they will take the risk i think what you're seeing increasingly is a very aggressive rhetoric and aggressive tactics from the government and every government wants to win and that's what political campaigns are about. Yeah, I can see it being an almighty battle for basically the soul of the Conservative Party. There would be so much difficulty in the Mm. House of Lords as well that, you know, it it will be a big battle. Perhaps it's not one that they actually want to fight, but perhaps, like you say, something to say ahead of the next election could help them out. But (laughs) even leaving the ECHR is not going to stop these people coming. Just from speaking to them, having covered this topic for quite a long time, there's so much about Britain... That, pe- that means that people want to come here beyond its sort of <laughs> signing up to human rights conventions. People often have links here. Someone I spoke to has had family here, first cousins. It also has religious freedom. It's seen as a place that is tolerant. And because of Britain's history in the world, a lot of people speak English better than they do other languages for countries that they might otherwise arrive into. And so they see Britain as somewhere that they could settle into easier. Yeah. So I just think all of those different examples mean that people are still going to try and come here. And actually what's interesting is, so Lee Anderson has been saying, um, you know, F off back to France. Mm. He's basically voicing what a lot of people were saying that I was hearing in Portland, which is, why don't they stop in the first safe country that they get to? Why do they have to come all the way here? 
actually one of the reasons for that is because of the fact that we left the European Union. We left the Dublin Treaty, which was this legislation. It didn't work that well. but no, was, was the, the numbers, numbers were very low. Yeah, yeah. But w- which would pick up people if they'd left the first country that, that they got to and put them back there. And actually what I've heard from someone else who crossed the channel, nothing to do with the Bibby Stockholm, but someone I've sp- spoken to previously, he told me that Britain is now seen as a second chance at Europe. So if you get to southern Spain or southern Italy and then you end up in Germany and then you get found out under the Dublin Treaty, taken back to southern Spain or southern Italy, you're then like, okay, I can't really go anywhere else in the EU, so I'm going to go to the UK. So that's a bit of an irony because I think a lot of people, Lee Anderson included, who have this opinion were keen on Brexit. Actually, we didn't have anything to replace those Dublin regulations. Yeah, and I think the reasons that you just outlined for people coming gets the crux of the issue. The government are basically pursuing a policy of deterrence. Yeah, Robert Jenrick, the immigration minister said on Sky yesterday, it was a bit of a, I don't know whether it was a slip, but it was quite a revealing statement. He basically said that Labour have said, please get the backlog down. That's the key thing. And he said, of course, we don't want to do that because it'll encourage more people to come. <laughs> and they've not said that. And maybe they'll row back on that. But that basically is saying that, okay, the the objective here isn't to make the asylum system work as it should, is to deter people. And that's, I think, why we've got such harsh rhetoric now. That's why we've got the barge. I mean, that is also the whole point of the Rwanda policy. We know that the numbers that are coming in are in the tens of thousands. Rwanda won't be able to host tens of thousands of people. The whole point is basically to say, if you do try and come, we're going to send you 4,000 miles away and therefore don't come. It's a deterrence policy. And that, I think, is one of the reasons that you get this cruel language and this attempt to create a hostile environment for people because that's that is literally the point of the policy. Yeah, and I think that's ironic if they are trying to slow down the asylum processing yeah. in order to put people off. I don't know if that's necessarily going to work because what I think the public particularly hate is people being housed in these hotels. And yeah. even in the barge, people in Portland were saying that it's quite luxurious to have this barge with all of the free food and etc. medical health, healthcare. Because I think the issue with it is that if they were allowed to work and integrate into society, it would be less visible and it would be less of a lightning rod issue. And this is what the asylum seekers that I spoke to yesterday in Weymouth, they were just wandering around. They had nothing to do. They only get £9. They can't spend it on anything because everything's too expensive. And Mr Whippy there is £2.50. So, you know, um, so they were just walking around. They said, we want to work. We want to pay taxes. And they said to me at the moment, you're paying for everything. And this is the kind of thing I was hearing from the people on the other side of the argument. We're paying for everything and getting nothing out of it. Yeah, they're in agreement. Yeah, 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 they're in agreement. So, you know, they wanted to work. One of them was a computer sciences, not a graduate. He had to stop his studies halfway through because he was being persecuted in Pakistan, part of a religious sect there that isn't tolerated. The other was a police constable who was put in jail because he was also part of this minority group, couldn't carry on his work there. So these people, you know, they're qualified or soon to be qualified people and they want to come and work here. And I do think that if they were integrated more into society in that way, then it would be, I don't know, less of an affront to the people who find it so offensive that we've got people here while the country is in the state that it's in. Yeah, and people just find it extremely frustrating that they're in hotels as well, often in smaller towns, often in deprived areas. I think there's only one in the southeast, mostly in deprived areas around the country. And these are places that people use for their parties, their weddings, their 18th. They are part of communities as well. So they're not designed to house migrants, as we all know. We all know this isn't working well. And the government, to be fair, the government has increased the number of decision makers in the Home Office massively. Decision makers who basically decide whether or not we offer them asylum. And the Prime Minister has also said that he wants to get rid of the backlog by the end of the year. Yeah, They've made 
a tiny bit of progress on the backlog, but it's remarkable that they only started to increase the number of decision makers this year when this problem has been high on the political agenda for years. It's been something that the Tory party has said they want to address for years. We've known it's a problem for years. So whether they have any chance of actually getting the backlog down before the next election, at the moment, it seems unlikely. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with our listener questions episode, You Ask Us. If you'd like to submit a question, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. You can also leave a question in the YouTube comments, or if you're listening on Spotify, you can just scroll down on the episode page and leave us a reply. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Freddie Hayward, and my colleague, Anusha Kellyan. This episode was produced by Chris Stone. See you tomorrow.